welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Bloomquist, and I am honored to be able to preach out of the Word tonight. Um, I'm also super encouraged to see so many people here. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 6. We're continuing our study of Ephesians and are going through the full armor of God right now. Um, but before I go this, I want to share a little story. A man by the name of St. Augustine, who was born a long time ago in the late 300s, he had a Christian mom, but his dad uh, was a pagan for most of his life, and he grew up not a Christian. He pursued everything that he could ever want. He pursued relationships. He pursued wisdom. He tried to find satisfaction in all the things of this world, and yet it left him empty and broken. And one day, he heard what he said. <clears throat> sounded like a child say, tole lege, tole lege, which is Latin for take up and read take up and read, and there was a Bible next to him, and he opened it, and by the providence of God, he opened to Romans 13, verse 14. It says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And upon reading the scriptures, the Lord saved him. And this verse, Romans 13, 14, is super significant as we look at the full armor of God, because what we're going to see is we talk about each piece of the, uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel, our shoes for our feet. As we look at each piece of the armor of God, it's really putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So today I'll be preaching on the second piece of the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, which is really putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's read Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, in light of the fact that we are in a spiritual warfare, not against flesh and blood, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words 
may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. And even now, O Lord, I pray that you would open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel and open our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. So, breastplate of righteousness. What is the breastplate of righteousness? Paul is actually quoting Isaiah. In Isaiah 59, Israel, God's chosen people, are being oppressed by their enemies. And not only outside enemies, physical enemies like Babylon, they have a greater enemy, their own sin. And here's what God says in dealing with their sin and their enemies. Isaiah 59, verse 14, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. So God is, is looking around and he's saying, there's, there's no justice, there's no righteousness. You guys are living evil lives. Truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. And so the Lord looks around. He sees all of this sin in his people. It says the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede for his people. So what does God do? Does he leave his people in their sin? No, this is what he does. Then the Lord, his own arm, God himself brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. God himself put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So Paul here, when he's talking about the breastplate of righteousness, is really getting this from Isaiah 59. As the Lord looks around at his people and sees they're, they're being oppressed by their own sin, they're dead in their sin, they need a savior, nobody in the nation is righteous. And so God sees it and he acts. It says that God himself put on this armor. This armor of God that we're talking about is God's armor, forged by God the Father, worn by Jesus Christ, fashioned by the Holy Spirit. And so this armor of God is God's armor that he wore first in Jesus Christ. So when we're thinking about the armor of God, immediately we should think of Jesus because God wore this armor first. Jesus, God wore it in Jesus Christ. Jesus took on human flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus wasn't always a physical body. He took on human flesh. And in Jesus' taking on human flesh, he is putting on the full armor of God. You look at his whole life, the belt of truth like Sam preached on, Jesus perfectly upheld truth. And today we're going to see how Jesus is the breastplate of righteousness. When Paul says, put on, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the breastplate of righteousness, is Jesus Christ himself. And what is the breastplate of righteousness? It's Jesus' perfect works. Jesus came to this world and fulfilled the law. Fulfilled it like we failed to do. God created each and every one of you in his image and he loves you and he cares for you and as your creator and loving father he's given us his law he's given us his law to to guide us into glorifying him and enjoying him forever but since the very beginning adam and eve they failed they failed bringing sin and death into this world and each and every one of us have sinned the bible says romans romans 3 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god There's no one righteous. There's that word again. No one righteous. No, not one. And so the breastplate of righteousness is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' perfect righteousness. When he came and fulfilled the law, 
never dishonored his parents one time, never had a lustful thought, perfectly obeyed every aspect of the law, fulfilling all righteousness. And this is the righteousness of Christ that Paul says, having put on, put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ himself. So that's all introduction. You're welcome. I'm starting to get into points. So seeing that the breastplate of righteousness is the breastplate that God made and wore himself in Jesus, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, seeing what the breastplate of righteousness is, I've got four points. Here's the title of my sermon if you're taking notes. The breastplate of righteousness, dash, our defense against, colon. The breastplate of righteousness, our defense against, and I've got four points. Our defense against, number one, God's wrath. Number two, the world. Number three, the flesh. Number four, the devil. First point, the breastplate of righteousness, our defense against God's wrath. This may be surprising to you that our greatest enemy, unbelievers and believers, you who have been saved, who are united to Christ, your greatest enemy before you were saved was not the devil. It was God himself. Let me explain. Ephesians 2, we learned about. Ephesians 2, 1. All, uh, no, that's Romans. Ephesians 2, 1. Let me just turn there. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Those are shocking words. The Bible teaches that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, like I said earlier, sin entered this world and corrupted all of us. And so by nature, when we are born in this world, we are not born in a friendship with God. We are born as enemies of God because of our sin. God is perfectly holy. He is righteous. And he cannot... There goes my note page. Um, That's okay. Thank you. He is perfectly righteous, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. The Bible says that all of us have sinned, which separates us from God. And because God is loving, he must judge sin and evil. Because would a loving, a loving judge let evil reign? If you think about something, if somebody did something horrible to your family, and a judge came to them and out of love let the guilty person go, that would not be loving. God judges sin because he is loving. He will not let evil win. And so our first enemy is God's wrath. By nature, each and every one of us are enemies of God. And when we face God on judgment day, because of our sin and filthiness, we deserve his justice, which is eternity in hell. And this is a problem. But just like we read in Isaiah, God is a merciful and loving God. And he did not leave his people without a way of escape. And so what did God do to save guilty sinners like you and me? He sent his son, the breastplate of righteousness. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1, or verse 10. It says, sorry, I just, my pages keep turning. 6 verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The prerequisite for putting on the whole armor of God is you must be in the Lord. If you're not in the Lord, you 
don't even need to worry about the enemy of the devil and the world and the flesh because you are a part of the world. You are dead in your flesh and you are on the devil's side. And that was the state of me before Christ came and entered my heart and saved me. To put on the whole armor of God, first you must be in the Lord. And so the question is, how do I, how do I become in the Lord? What does it mean be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might? Well, we learn about this in Ephesians 1 over and over again. It talks about being in Christ. What I read in Ephesians 2 goes on to say, You are children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. And so the breastplate of righteousness is our defense first against the wrath of God. Let me illustrate this. I need two volunteers real quick. First hands I see. All right. Lily and Judah. Okay, that's funny. Siblings. <laughs> Judah, you're going to be this shirt. So this is my Forever Lawn shirt. It's disgusting. I wore it twice this week. Just to illustrate this, there's blood on it, lots of dirt. Okay, Judah, I need you to hold this. This represents... All righteousness before God. All right. Now, what is this? This is a Kirkland signature, brand new, white t-shirt that I've never worn. Not a stain on it. Okay, Lily, can you hold this one? So this is a picture of the breastplate of righteousness. Our first enemy is God's wrath. Each and every one of us, because of our sin, when we stand before God, he sees this. He sees... Our dirty sin. And Isaiah goes on to say, even our best works. Listen to this. Even our best works are as filthy rags in God's eyes. That's what this is. This is filthy, filthy rags. And so some of us, some of you guys, think that you will enter heaven's gates pleading this. God, I, I, I'm not as bad as some of the people in my school. I've not done major sins, Right? I, I read my Bible most days, I pray, and you want to come before God pleading your own righteousness, but God sees it as this, disgusting, dirty, filthy. But this is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and never sinned one, once, fulfilled the whole law. Perfect. He's the perfect lamb without blemish. But what happened on the cross? Theologians call it the great exchange. This is what happens. This is at the heart of the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus, here's what happens. Our filthy sin and unrighteousness was placed upon Christ. And what happened to Jesus? What does this deserve? This deserves death. This deserves the wrath of God. Who deserves this? We do. What happened on the cross? Why Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because on the cross, Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath of God that we deserve because our sin and guilt was imputed or credited to Christ. And what happened to Jesus' perfect righteousness that deserves eternal life with the Father in heaven? By faith, by faith, by trusting in Jesus, it is credited to us. It's the great exchange. Did Judah deserve this? Do I deserve this? Was it Judah's or my righteousness that gets us into heaven? No, it is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so what happens 
with this breastplate of righteousness that we are clothed in by faith, is when we stand before God on Judgment Day, he no, God no longer sees Matthew's filthy sin. He doesn't. Because I've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I can stand before God with confidence, not because of anything that I've done, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Jesus became a man and perfectly fulfilled the law so that we might have access to the throne of God. And it's all by faith. It's by his grace. Thank you, guys. You guys can have a seat. I'll probably pick these up and show it again. So our first enemy is that, the wrath of God. We deserve God's wrath because of our sin. But Jesus Christ came and perfectly fulfilled the law and offers, offers to you freely his own righteousness. And that is your only hope of eternal life. And believer, brother and sister in here, this is exactly what has happened to you. So rejoice that you have confidence, Hebrews says, to draw near to God. That death has lost its sting because we have confidence that God doesn't judge me on the basis of my righteousness, which deserves his wrath, but he judges me based upon the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that's what happened on the cross. When Jesus died, his final words were, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. The debt that our sin, we had an infinite debt that we can never pay. But Jesus paid it on the cross. Uh, a wonderful song illustrates this well. It's called His Robes for Mine. It says, His Robes for Mine, a wonderful exchange. Jesus forsaken, God is estranged from God. And it, it goes on to say, Oh, I got to think of it. I always forget. One sec. I'm singing it in my head right now. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. And it says, we are draped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I forgot the lyrics, but that's okay. All right. Here's our second enemy. In Christ, clothed in his breastplate of righteousness, we stand before God with boldness. But we also stand firm against our threefold enemy. JT's intro sermon was on our threefold enemy, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so not only does the breastplate of righteousness give us access and boldness before God, but also helps us to stand firm. Paul says that, stand firm against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So let's look at the world. When we're talking about the world as our enemy, we're not talking about the tree over there or the grass. No, all God created is good. When we're talking about the world, we're talking about the philosophies and ideologies and sin of the world. Think of your friends at school. Think about the things that the world pursues and loves, money, sex, pornography, all of these worldly things. Looking good in front of other people, success, pride. This is what the world is preaching at you every day, and it is an enemy because we are prone to conform to the world. But Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed through the renewal of your mind. Don't live, though we live in the world now, Christian, our citizenship is in heaven. We must not conform to the world. We should not live like our friends at school who do not know Jesus. Some of you guys who claim to be Christians, if I looked at your life and your unbelieving friend, your lives look the same. Even though you claim to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, 
If you truly are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, positionally, you will practically walk in that righteousness. You will obey the, lo the law of God. Why? Because Christ has first obeyed it for you. Because he has loved you and given himself up for you, and so now we delight in his law. And so the breastplate of righteousness is our defense against the world. The world, Ian DeGuide defines as Satan's playground. There are tempting sights, sounds, tastes in the world that dazzle and allure us to sin. But the breastplate of righteousness, when you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, Ezekiel says, your heart of stone, which once loved the world and the dazzling sights and sins of the world, he, he rips that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh that no longer loves the things of this world, but loves the things of God. And so the breastplate of righteousness, when we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith, it's our defense against the things of this world because our appetite is changed. The things that we tasted in the world that once were sweet to us, and now that we have tasted the sweetness of Christ and His righteousness, the things of this world are now bitter. We don't enjoy them. We don't love them. And so we must look to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Believer, how often do you remind yourself of the gospel? It should be a daily thing. Every day, we should remind ourselves that we are clothed. As you physically clothe, clothe yourself, it should remind us that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that will strengthen us as we look to Jesus throughout our day to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewal of our mind. And so, because we've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we must walk. Paul in Ephesians 4, 1 says, Therefore walk according to the calling to which you've been called. You've been called a son and a daughter to the king. And he's clothed you in his own righteousness. And so we ought to walk out of a joy and love for our Savior. Walk according to that righteousness. Third enemy, the flesh. The flesh is our indwelling sin. Brothers and sisters, we wrestle against the flesh. It's not our physical flesh. Paul says we live in bodies of death. Even though we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ and know that we will stand before God with confidence because of Jesus, we still wrestle with ongoing sin. And I know this is, some of you guys this week have been torn as I have. I'm preaching, but there's no difference in me than you. This week I've struggled with sin. I, it is a struggle and I get discouraged. Why do I... Let my tongue slip. Why do I do the things that I hate, Paul says? How come I still dishonor my parents? Battling with lustful thoughts. Some of you guys this week have been torn in your sin, and you begin to think, how? What do I do? I do the things that I hate. I know I should not do this, but I have no power in and of myself. And we wrestle. We wrestle against the flesh. And we get discouraged, and we, be we begin to doubt. Does Christ love me? How can he love me? How can Christ love me? He's died for me, and yet I trample over his dead body and continue in my sin. And I begin to doubt. And I know many of you guys have felt this way too. You feel like a bruised reed, just barely hanging on. And yet the breastplate of righteousness is our defense against the flesh. We must look. We must look to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I love in the song we sang, Before the Throne... Of God above. This leads into the 
the next points, similar to the accusations of, of the flesh, is the accusations of the devil. And before the throne of God above, the second line says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. When you're wrestling with your flesh and you, you sin over and over and over again and you don't know what to do and then Satan accuses you and says and whispers in your ear, how do you think you are going to heaven? You are full of sin. You failed so many times this week. You failed today. Jesus doesn't love you. You are not going to have access to the Father in heaven. And you hear and Satan accuses and he roars at you. But what does the song say? When Satan tempts me to despair... And tells me of the guilt within. What do I do? Look inwardly? No. Look outwardly. Upward I look and see him there, Jesus Christ. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. And so as we wrestle against the flesh, and thirdly, the devil, the breastplate of righteousness is our defense. Look. Look. That's all it is. is it's a look. It's a glance. Look to Jesus Christ on the cross continually. And when you look, keep looking. And when you stop looking, look again. Continually look to the righteous because we are prone to look inwardly. We are prone to think of our sin and to become bitter and doubtful. But the Bible says the opposite. We need to look outwardly. When Satan tempts us, when we're struggling with our indwelling sin, we need to look outward. We need to look to Jesus. We need to look to his perfection, the one who never sinned in all of the areas which we continually sin in. And we need to see that by His grace, He has offered it, His righteousness to us freely. And we're clothed in it. We must remember the righteousness of Christ, which protects our hearts. What does a breastplate protect? It protects your heart. And so the breastplate of righteousness, the spiritual breastplate, protects our spiritual heart. That's what Satan wants. Third point still is, is the devil as our enemy. What does Satan want? He wants your heart. Your heart is your affections, your inner self. He wants, Satan wants to divert the affections of your heart off of God, off of Christ. He wants to turn you away from Christ and turn your eyes, not even necessarily towards him. Satan's goal as your enemy is not for you to become a devil worshiper. He doesn't need to do that. All he needs to do is turn your hearts off of God onto other things, even Good things like sports and video games. Good things that God has made to bring us joy. But what Satan wants to do is take our ultimate joy and satisfaction in the affections of our hearts and put them on earthly things. That's what Satan uses. He uses the world. And he uses the things of this world to divert our affections. But the righteousness of Christ is our defense. When Satan lies and accuses and leads us and tempts us to pursue things other than Christ, we look to the righteousness of Jesus Christ and see that is the most beautiful and satisfying thing. I'm going to end with this awesome story in the Pilgrim's Progress. <clears throat> Christian is on a journey, on a pilgrimage to the celestial city, just like you, just like us. And along the way, he's tempted by a man, not a man, a fiend called Apollyon, who represents Satan. And this is the interaction that Christian has with Apollyon, who's Satan. Apollyon jabbed his pointed finger in Christian's direction. And he said, you have already been unfaithful in your service to Jesus. How is it that you think you are going to receive wages from him? 
And then Christian says, tell me, Apollyon, in what ways have I been unfaithful to Christ? And so Apollyon goes, and he names list after list of sins. He says, very soon after setting out from the city of destruction, you were quickly discouraged. When you almost choked in the slough of despond, and he raised his bony finger to track just how unfaithful the pilgrim had been. You also made several wrong attempts to be rid of your burden when you should have waited until your prince had taken it off. He ticked off his point on a second finger. Plus, you sinfully overslept. You lost your precious possession, and you almost turned back at the sight of the lions. And he ran out of fingers. He keeps accusing him of all these sins that Christian has done. He ran out of fingers on which to count Christian's missteps and dramatically threw his hands in the air with a flare to make his point of just how unfaithful Christian had been. And when you talk about your journey and of what you have said and heard, inwardly you desired personal praise for all you say and do. On and on it goes. And Christian glanced at the ground. And this is what he says. All this is true. In fact, there's much more you left out. And he looked back at Apollyon. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. But besides these wrongdoings which I committed in your country where I was brought up and educated in them, I've groaned under these sins and repented of them. As a result, I've received full pardon from my prince. And that is our plea. It's the righteousness of Christ. We look to Jesus who's given us full pardon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the righteousness of Christ, which... He lived, he lived a perfect life like we cannot. And thank you that he freely gives us his righteousness by faith. And that this righteousness is our defense, first against your wrath and also against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Strengthen these Christians in here to go out and to press on in their pilgrimage. And for the unrepentant sinner in here, would you convict them of their sin and lead them to the righteousness found in Jesus alone? Amen.